This is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, holy, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Now everyone, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Everyone, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look back on 2021 and ahead to the new year, we give you thanks that you are in the process of making all things new. Through a new covenant, inaugurated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the giving of his spirit. We pray you'd keep us focused, renew our minds on the city to come, whose architect and builder is God. So we pray we can embrace all the good things you have for us in the next 12 months, and that you put a new song in our mouth that we may sing your praises to the ends of the earth. We ask that you extend to each one of us wisdom, strength, courage, to meet each new day and each new challenge head on with eagerness and joy. Give us courage to accept the clean slate you offer us every day through the forgiveness of our sins. Give us eyes to see beyond our personal struggles and social tensions that pervade the media, to behold the wonder and beauty and mystery of the kingdom of God, and fill us with the new wine of your spirit every day. Bless us with a warmth of strong relationships, the strength to help those in our community that need help, and the courage and humility to accept help in the moments when we need you. As we consider those around us who begin this year fighting sickness, disease, or battles beyond compare, help us meet them with hearts full of compassion. Let us find a way to reach out to them so that each of us, through us, they can find strength that eases their pain and reminds them that they're not alone. We pray especially for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones and friends. We pray for doctors, nurses, caregivers, and those who've been stressed to the limit, teachers and students returning to school. We pray for our elders and pastors and staff 
especially our technical crew, who've worked so long and so hard to constantly pivot protocols and adapt to new technologies and venues. Give us the faith of Abraham to be willing to be vulnerable and to step out by faith to follow your call wherever you take us and to let our light shine in the darkness as we look for that everlasting city. Remind us, O oh Lord, that it only takes one person willing to step out by faith that can begin a transformation miracle upon the earth. So this morning, as the people of PBC and worldwide, we celebrate you in praise and prayer. We do so as one people, with one spirit, worshiping one God, to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we have a special guest today, Steve Zeisler. And uh, he'll be giving autographs after the service. And uh, he's chosen a, um, his message on the life of Abraham. And the scripture reading, he wanted us to read John 9, 1 to 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to welcome up Steve Zeisler, and uh, as he comes up, and I'll pray for him. So Steve actually was the first Christian I met at Stanford. He was a year older than I was, and uh, came into my dorm room, and uh, as a believer, and actually is responsible for making all my connections to why I'm still here <laughs> and change the course of my life. So we're just so proud to have Thanks. you with us, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. So thank let you. me pray for you. Please. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the history that we have together as brothers, uh, from being students together, interns, pastors, uh, and then serving at different churches. <clears throat> and I just thank you for Steve and his family, his faithfulness over the years to teach your word faithfully and always to be one who would give the stage to others and to honor others, to make others succeed. So I pray you'd anoint him now with your spirit and let him feel the warmth and love of our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know much about what Brian's class is going to be other than what he just talked about today, breaking through barriers and all, but I, I do want to say of my friend Brian Morgan that... Um, of all the people that have helped me sort of go beneath the surface, see beauty where I might have missed it, um, not just uh, kind of miss the depth and, and wonder of the things of God. Brian has over and over again uh, been that uh, person in my life who's helped me go there. So again, without knowing more about this particular class, I know that about him and uh, would recommend it to you if, if you're considering uh, joining him for the class. 
It's probably, I, I, I know for sure, it's a good thing to be old at the end of the year each year. And uh, the, those of us who have lived some decades realize that all of the uh, breathless analysis of what's just taken place and all of the assured prognostications about what are coming next have all happened before. We've, we've seen this movie before. And you know today's events are important, but they aren't the only thing. God is on the throne. Uh, he has taken this world through bitter and hard times before. He has cared for his people in the midst of, of all sorts of uh, unknown uh, circumstances. And I, um, as uh, the, the, what I've realized is, for me, at uh, all these years, after all these years, is that I care a lot more now about what lasts forever than what happens next. And I want to take us into a text. Um, as Brian said, it's, the, it's in Hebrews 11. Uh, it is the account in Hebrews, the story of, a, uh, sort of a short version, telling the story of Abraham's life. And I think it's a text that will help us as we anticipate the new year, help us as we look back over what's happened and deal with all the stuff that's, that's going on around us. Um, Abraham is the towering figure of the life of faith. He is the essential uh, example in, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. What does it mean to have faith? Abraham is the father of all who, those who have faith. And so this is an account of Abraham's faith, how, how God taught him faith, and uh, I think we'll find it helpful. There's uh, and, uh, some images I want you to look for, look, uh, consider it before I read. One is the image of a journey, uh, a life-giving journey, a life-altering uh, journey for Abraham. The other is kind of the contrast between living in a tent and living in an eternal city. A tent, a temporary tent in the moment, an eternal dwelling in, in heaven. So with those in mind, let me read uh, Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So the, the, there's, again, a number of images, a number of kind of ways of describing Abraham's real history that teach us lessons about, the spiritual life teach us lessons about faith as he learned faith. Now, the first one to notice is that the journey that Abraham undertook at God's call. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, and he went out not knowing where he was going. 
the default position for most human beings uh, engaging the world is that we are told to make the most of ourselves, to do the best we can, to follow our passions, to unleash the inner realities, to, to build a brand for ourselves, to win the race. Somehow we are told to make something of ourselves. That's the, the assignment that almost all of us receive some way or other from the world that we're, we're born into, from our family or from somewhere. How, what will you make of yourself is the question. Um, in this uh, description of Abraham's life, the essential question for him was obeying God who had called him. It is God's initiative. It's God's uh, version of what Abraham's life should be that becomes the more important things. When we're told to make the most of ourselves, the, the default outcome is falling short. Everyone who strides forward and takes on the world and finds their way ends up at some point realizing they aren't who they intended to be They've fallen short somehow. They either live with us, we live, those, you know, those of us who can identify clearly with these things, we, we live with either disappointment or pretense, or we make the same mistakes over and over again. We keep trying to take on life, and we were meant to follow God. We were meant to answer the call of Jesus. In our case, follow me, the Lord said. And, and it is following God, being given life on his terms, that's, uh, that is, of course, what, you know, faith is what we're talking about, but it's, it's the gospel, it's the good news. We don't have to make our lives, our, uh, build our lives ourselves. We, we don't have to um, uh, win, the, win the prize ourselves. Um, even those who seem to have done as well as anyone, even those who seem to have come out on top, deep down know they haven't, and, and someday there will be winners who overtake them as well. There's a famous saying from the old pitcher, Satchel Page, that don't look back, something might be gaining on you. Even those who seem to be winners will someday come to the, to the end of the story when, when they are swept aside and someone else takes their place. It's God's initiative to call us to follow him, to give us life on his terms. That is the, be the beginning of the story of Abraham. It's, it's a, a crucial uh, point for us as well. The, uh, the problem is not that God called Abraham, but that he went to a place not knowing where he was going. The thing God does not do when he calls us is give us a blueprint for where we're going. Um, I came to Christ when I was 16 years old at a Young Life camp. I heard the gospel preached for the first time in any way that made sense to me. Jesus died on the cross for me, and I immediately knew it was true. I immediately knew that I was loved by God and that his claim on my life was valid. But I had spent the five years before being 16, from five, six or, uh, or so, five or six years, uh, our family, during those years, moved five different times across three different states. And of course, the years between nine and 10 and 16 are the, the years of adolescence when you're trying to figure yourself out anyway. And we, we, my family moved again and again, and every time I'd have to start up at a new school and try and figure out who, what the social structure was there, who, who is cool, who isn't, what's acceptable behavior and what isn't, what clothes can you wear in this school, and you know, on and on. All of the things that adolescents worry about trying to fit in. 
And so we repeated the thing time and again. And by the time I was 16, one of the things I was sure of is that you've got to be wary about everything. You don't want to take too many risks too early. You've got to know the, la the lay of the land. Uh, you've got to find your way. You don't make any assumptions that what you've known about before is going to, going to work in the new place you end up. So here I am, uh, hearing the gospel, uh, just overwhelmed with the sense of God's love. But I knew from the beginning that I wanted to cut a deal. I, I wanted a guarantee. I knew I should follow the Lord, but the thing that hung me up and has done every year since is um, wanting to negotiate terms, wanting to make suggestions. This is the way I want it to turn out. Lord, I want to follow you, but let's, let's see what's coming ahead. Let's, let's not have this thing be so risky. And yet Abraham, uh, to his great credit, was called by God and he went not knowing where he was going. That is going, has been true for all of us who follow the Lord. He does not negotiate. He does not offer us a map. We are going to face things that are, are uh, difficult, unknown, un, un, that he doesn't you know, apologize for. Abraham uh, was called by God and obeyed, not knowing where he was going, the scripture says. That's, that's the Christian life. The gift of God's call, our following without any uh, certainty as to how it's going to turn out. The, uh, the promise is, however, that he who's begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. God doesn't call us wondering how it's going to turn out from his perspective, he knows. And he knows and will make us successful in our following of him. He is determined not only to call us, but to bring us to the end. We can trust him even though we can't see what's next before us. The, uh, the blessing in this, or a blessing in this, is, and again, this is an old man's perspective, uh, is I've discovered time and again that when I offered God my best insight as to what, I, what should happen next and found myself ignored, at the end of the day, what he gave me instead was always better. When he appeared not to answer my prayers for something to occur or not occur, what happened instead was better than what I had uh, suggested to him was a good place for me. And it, and again, it's, it's the, way God, the, the, the way the gospel works, essentially. God calls us. We follow by faith, not knowing where we're going. He's committed to finishing the uh, journey for us. And what he ends up giving us is the thing that's best. And, and Abraham, by faith, began this journey. The, the other two things I mentioned that I, I think are, are kind of images from this text that are compelling to me, and they, they sort of live in tension with each other, is that when Abraham was called to go to a place that he would receive as an inheritance, and he went to Canaan, and this is a, the land that would ultimately become the Holy Land. But at this point, it's not the Holy Land. It's just the Promised Land. It's just an ordinary place without any sacred history or anything else yet. Abraham goes to the place where uh, he's to receive as an inheritance, and yet he's living in a tent. He's a Bedouin. He, he, he lives without any security at all. He's a stranger in the place where he goes. He's 
often uh, somewhat in tension with people around him, unwelcome, perhaps. And yet he sees in the distance a city that has foundations. And, and it's this juxtaposition of life in a tent and an ability to see what God has for us. The, the promised land is not yet a homeland for, for Abraham. And, and I want to take a minute and talk about both those things. First, what it means to see in the distance what's coming. He, he's gone to the place he's to receive his inheritance, and it's still a place of insecurity. It's still a place of uncertainty. It's not yet, the, the journey is not yet finally over, but he can see what God has planned for him. By faith, his eyes are open to what's coming. And I want to talk, talk a minute about that uh, seeing the future. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it means to live in a tent in the interim. We're told of, of the world prepared for us, the world that is to come, is that it was designed and built by God. It's what he has in mind. And contrary to life in a tent, it has foundations. It's a city with walls. It's a place that is protected from marauders. It's a place of community. A city is always that, where we're not on our own. We live among people whom God has also placed in, in community with us. Tent life, because it's transient, communities turn over and relationships fade and we can't be sure of what, again, unsure of what will happen next. But in the place God uh, has for us, we are going to live with uh, secure foundations, uh, secure, the security of walls, the reality of community. It says that he has, in, again, in, in Hebrews, it says he's, it's a place that he has prepared for us personally prepared for us. It's the same word that Jesus used in, in John 14 when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come and take you to myself. It, it, what we're looking forward to is not what we have now. It is a place of um, celestial beauty for sure, but all the things that we long for in, in terms of connection with each other, the presence of our Father, the, the embrace of Jesus, the love of community, and is uh, prepared individually. It's stuff that's best for you, in particular. It has been prepared with you, it has been prepared with you in mind. It's the, um, there's some evocative phrases, I think, that are used in Hebrews, talking about this looking forward business. It says we see the, the, the city from afar. Can't quite see it yet, but it's there in the distance and it's, it's calling to us in a sense. We look forward to it. We're seeking a homeland, desiring a better country. All of these are phrases of, that are used to, to talk about what, what Abraham apprehended but didn't, uh, didn't have uh, as a possession yet. And it's, it's true for us as well. It's a phrase from an old song that says, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This sense of the glory of God, not quite here yet, but beautiful. And Abraham, uh, having those convictions, having those experiences, trusted God because he knew where he was going. I don't know if you can think of time, a time, I hope you can, when you have been transported very, very near the place of eternal uh, welcome. 
I remember once when I was a young Christian sitting around a campfire with a bunch of friends under the stars, talking about the love of God, praying, singing, and it's vivid. I was transported almost to the city itself. That, that God was there among us and that all the things that ought to be were just about ours forever. It, it, and, and worship can be like that. Uh, I hope it is. Uh, Brian and I were talking about Christmas Eve services before we came on here. And th this year and other years, I remember particularly one Christmas Eve service when we were lighting candles and it was dark and the music and the, the news of the incarnation was so real to me that I felt as if the things of earth had grown strangely dim. This, that, that's what happened to Abraham, seeing from afar, almost there. Perhaps you've had a powerful insight into scripture or were present at, an, uh, at a healing that was miraculous or somehow or other breaking into the life we live in tents right now is the reality of what's to come. Seeing from afar but not too far. C.S. Lewis talks about how important our longings are. How, how the things we long for very often are, are witnesses of what God is up to. He, he, in Lewis's wonderful phrasing, we have powerful longings that we can't quite capture. The scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we haven't heard. News from a country we have never yet visited. Our homeland is a heavenly one. The world continues to tantalize, to offer what it can't deliver. Seen from afar, Abraham and the other patriarchs uh, died in faith, and we wait in faith. But there are times, again, when it is moving to us and it is faith-building for us to have some sense of what is yet to come. And... Uh, and that was, of course, Abraham's experience can be ours. And, and the clearer we are as, as to what the end of the journey is, the more willing we will be to trust God with what's yet, to, what's yet the interim as we wait. So I want to talk just a couple of minutes, a few minutes yet here about what it means to live in a tent. We're not yet home. And life, uh, and I, I want you to take a minute and think about your situation. You're vulnerable. As long as we're in a tent, as long as, as uh, we're not yet in the city, as long as the, the, the Lord has not brought us to the place he is now preparing for us, we're vulnerable. Um, tornadoes, Omicron virus, vi <coughs> vi variants, Virulent politics, economic downturns, rising tides of unrighteousness, broken hearts. What, what is it about tent life now that makes you uncertain about uh, your, that you wish were different, I guess is the best way to put it, that you wish you could be safer, you wish you, it, life were easier. Again, referencing the old man theme I started with. One of the things I'm more sure about over time is that life in a tent deteriorates. Whether that's bodily deterioration, so my, my joints don't work as well, the, 
all of the various systems that you used to be able to count on, your hearing deteriorates, your, all these you know, things uh, stop working. Your, my memory is not what it used to be. I can never find my keys or my phone. And uh, the, uh, I, I used to feel I could engage most of the technology I had to engage in order to survive. Doesn't seem that way anymore. Um, there's something about this life uh, that faculties that used to, to be trustworthy aren't anymore. There's a deterioration that's happening and, and there's no prospect that it's, that it's gonna cease to deteriorate. The, uh, the reality over time in tent living is that people move away and move on and, and things that, that used to give kind of a sense of belonging will change. I don't know how many of you were at Gary Vanderett's retirement party. Some of you were, I know. Uh, Gary, of course, used to pastor here for years and, and then at Willow Glen Bible Church and retired recently. Uh, the Morgans and the Zeislers, a bunch of other people were there. And, and, and again, I'm sure some of you, um, but I remember seeing all the people that were there that I hadn't seen, some of them for 20 or 30 years. We were once close and it, and it was great to catch up and. Uh, renew relationships, but one of the things that happens if you live in a tent is there's change and there is turnover and there is um, tents don't stay in one place forever. They're transient. They're inevitably transient, and and tent living uh, is makes us again need the Lord. That's the purpose of of the whole business. Why Abraham was called to live this way is so he would have to place his faith in, in the Lord rather than in his own abilities, his own strength, his own uh, capacities. Um, Abraham failed. Just think for a minute about you know about his life. He failed under, under the duress of famine. He abandoned the post and went off to Egypt. He lied about his wife. He had a, he had a difficult uh, uh, family life. So, some of you live in blended families here. I, I know that, and, and of course Abraham did. He had sons by two different women, loved them both, tried to raise them. It was a complex circle of people that all lived in the family. They, uh, Abraham, and his wife, Abraham and his wife Sarah manipulated each other at times. Um, their marriage was, at the end, a very beautiful thing, but it didn't happen easily or quickly. There was, they, they um, hurt one another, misunderstood one another. He had a family business with his nephew that they had to separate because of tension in the family business. Um, he, uh, he learned to lie very effectively, shade the truth, and, and yet he experienced God in extraordinary moments of, of intense engagement and the word of God, the presence of God who called him and he responded in faith. And so you, you see Abraham, the man of faith, living with struggles, doing well at times, doing poorly at times, and yet God rescued him. Every time he failed, the Lord brought him back. And over time, he becomes a man of greater and greater faith. And that's what tent living is for. It's supposed to feel insecure. We're not supposed to be able to make it work on our own. It's exactly why God's placed us in settings that leave us vulnerable. It's, it's why God uh, knows us when we fail and, and lifts us up again. He, he's building faith 
as he did with Abraham. Another observation about tent living is that it connects us to the world around us. Most of us know and are subject to the desire sometimes to wish we could get out of the valley, right? Or wherever you live. You, the, the place your tent is currently located is so uh, difficult, is so fraught, is so, um, uh, you know, we, the, the, the sense is if we could all just move to Montana, you know, or something, if we could just get out of, of this place, this crucible with all of its difficulties and all of its demands and all of its craziness, that it's, the place is the problem. But wherever we would go if we would leave on our own terms, we would take ourselves with us, we would, go, we would be ourselves wherever we would go, it would not be more congenial. The tent living is always gonna be tent living, it's always gonna require faith. And if God has called us to live where we are now, it may be that some will leave for what, you know, whatever valid reason, but if you're assigned by God to be here now, one of the options is to look at the neighbors and coworkers and, and people that you encounter in the world around you and realize they're under the same stresses as you are. That, that tent living gives us opportunity to identify with those who don't yet know the Lord. And, and Abraham was a, was a great example of that. Um, Jer Jeremiah, uh, often quoted word from Jeremiah, is to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile, into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. Abraham prayed for Sodom. Abraham lived amongst the people that were, were wicked and needy and broken, and he, and he prayed that God would save Sodom. He prayed for his unbelieving neighbors. He, he did a stint in the military. When the land was invaded, Abraham fought in a war amongst his neighbors, um, dealing with the problems that they had, facing the same issues that it, those around him did. He, um, he negotiated water rights and dug wells with his neighbors. He, um, he received a blessing from Abimelech. He, he was part of a community, an active member, cared about the, those among whom he lived, and, and it, it was his witness of life, trusting God with his struggles, that was offered to the people around him who didn't yet believe. And I, I think sometimes as Christians we, we think that uh, you know, again, if we could just get away from the, the problems and, and aren't as willing to realize that it's God carrying us through the, the hard times that are true of us offers us a, an opportunity as witness to our neighbors and to the people that are looking on. Tent life is deliberately uh, difficult because God is building our faith. Tent life is the common life of human beings and offers us a chance to speak of the Lord to those we know around us who are, are suffering under the same stress as we are. It gives us a chance to speak about Jesus. There's a third thing I wanna say about living in a tent. Brian read a text from John uh, earlier in the service. And it said, uh, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word to dwell in that sentence is the word to tent. The word became flesh and tented among us. God 
became human, and in the same way that tents are vulnerable for us, the Lord God made himself vulnerable, not secure. He was laid in a, a manger, and a maniac was trying to kill him. He, the Son of Man has no, had no place in his adult life, no place to lay his head. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, his friends abandoned him when he needed them most. When he was sweating blood in the garden, they slept. He lived with fear because he, uh, no one can face, humanly face what he had to face, uh, the execution that he had to face or the enmity that he had to face without knowing what it's like to be lonely and afraid. Repeatedly, over and over again, he cried out, he, he spent time with God, trusting God, but it was not automatic. It was only through the hardest struggle of, of vulnerability. And what that means is that those of us who know our own vulnerabilities can know the Lord best by seeing his. We can stand nearest to the Lord, not when he is triumphantly raising us up, only that, but when, when, we're not, when we're on our knees and, and, and crying and realize that he's been through this too, that when we're afraid, he, he knows what it's like to be afraid. When we're rejected, he knows what it's like to be rejected. That we learn faith in, by living in a tent. We are witnesses by living in a tent, but we learn worship. We learn to see and know and trust and embrace Jesus in our weakness because he suffered all of those things. The Lord God made himself you know, impossibly vulnerable by becoming human, a human being. Earlier this year, earlier in the summer, um, I went through something I had never gone through before. Um, I've had you know, physical problems over the years and so on, but I, I'd never been... Um, emotionally and uh, I, what I went through is basically about of anxiety attacks where I lost my ability to think or trust my reasoning I was afraid of everything it seemed um, the, the world sort of became oppressive and dark and um, and it, it was completely new for me I, I'd never been through something like enduring anxiety where every day getting out of bed had, had issues around it. And, um, and I know that there are people in this room that have been lived with depression for years and years who have been through much more pain, you know, PTSD perhaps, really hard assignments of emotional distress. And what I'm talking about is probably nothing in comparison to you, but I, it, was, it was new to me. And I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to admit it. I didn't know how to talk to myself about it. I didn't know who else to talk to. But what I found is that I drew near to Jesus more in, in that period than I ever had in my life before. Um, Lord, I'm afraid. And I realized I was talking to someone, I know, I know what fear is like, I know what you're going through. I, 
I read the uh, Upper Room Discourse over and over and over again, and, and every time found some more, uh, some other word from the Lord about his spirit, his presence, his purpose. And eventually, it, you know, the, the thing passed, mostly, uh, essentially his path. Um, but th that sort of tentish vulnerability uh, drew me nearer to the Lord than I have been and at least knowingly been at, at any other time in my life. And, and I think the, uh, the image that the writer of Hebrews gives us you know, allows us to, to think of the Lord and his vulnerability. We're headed for a city. If we can see it, if we can apprehend it, if we have moments of where it breaks through and we're essentially there and our hearts are overwhelmed by the, the beauty of the Lord, that sustains us and we're headed there. The call of God is to, to follow him, not knowing where we're going, but he knows and that's where we're headed. So our faith grows. But in the interim, we're vulnerable. We're Bedouins. We're transients. We're deteriorating, all of those things. And in our weakness, God makes himself great. And in our weakness, we have the opportunity to be perhaps nearer to Christ than we are at any other time. Knowing that he knows, knowing that he not only can save us out of it, but he'll stand with us in it because he's been through it. There's a wonderful uh, old spiritual that ha has as its refrain, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. So tent living is, was Abraham's assignment, it is ours as well. We see the, the city in the distance that has foundations that will last forever, secure in community. Um, and our uh, great, uh, our high priest, who's been through everything we've been through, sustains us uh, in the in the time we have now. I want to end with a reading, uh, reading a longer than I often do. Um, word from David Roper. Some of you will remember David. He loomed enormously large in Brian's life and mine um, when we were very young, back in the day. And uh, been reading Dave's stuff forever, but this is something I want to end with uh, this morning. So many things go wrong here. Nothing will go wrong there. Nothing will go missing. Nothing will go up in smoke. Nothing will go down the drain. Heaven is God's answer to Murphy's Law. There has always been a bit of homesickness in me, a longing for that elusive something more. Now I know it's a hankering for the Father's house and my eternal home. Home from my wayward wanderings, home from the cold foreign clime, home to the arms of my Father where I am his and he is mine. In the meantime, while we wait for that day, God's goodness and love will follow us, guarding us from our own worst instincts, cleaning up the messes we leave behind, giving us faith, hope, and love for the journey. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Who could ask for more? I want to close our time in a word of prayer, but 
ask, would ask you to uh, pray uh, silently to, in your own circumstance. The year is bearing down on us. Uh, we're still intense. But Jesus is in it with us. And we take a moment and reflect on that and then I'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your vulnerability. We thank you for the faith that sought to the end. We thank you for Abraham's example. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we'll receive what's before us because we want our faith to grow and our witness to matter. And we want to be worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen. As you remain standing, I want to give a a sending out sort of a charge for the new year that you hold fast your confession and that you draw near to the throne of grace. Since, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Go in peace.